Hope everybody had a good week. Happy Sunday. We'll be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Verses 19 through 25. Thank you to Bruce and Pam for doing music. And Pam's doing double duty this month, doing music and then going downstairs and teaching. She has not slept this entire month. That's probably not true, but I appreciate her doing that. I appreciate Andrea also taking the other class and everyone who volunteers. Appreciate the people in the back with sound and PowerPoint. Galatians 3, verses 19 through 25. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. We want to lift up this lady who Mark shared, uh, who's going through some tough times, Lord, and who you've put on his heart. Lord, and in our lives, we, we have people like that we meet who come into our lives and who we feel that you have brought into our lives for a specific reason at a specific time. And so, Lord, we just want to pray for this woman. We want to pray for your provision for her, for sustenance, Lord. And if people are able to help her, Lord, we, we praise you for that as well. But, Lord, we want to just lift her up. We want to continue to pray for Winston Kaufman, Lord, and his battle with cancer. We pray for his parents, Lord. Again, just so unimaginable what this family has been through over the last two to three weeks. And Lord, we pray for him and his treatment. Lord, we pray for this meal that's happening today. And uh, just as a community, that people can continue to come together, as so many already have, and be supportive and loving. And may we continue to be prayerful. Lord, we also pray for Ruby Kaufman, as she's in the hospital, Lord, going through physical therapy, we want to continue to pray for her and her recovery. Lord, we pray for our time as we study in your word. We pray that we'd be pointed to your gospel, that we would be convicted to live for you, and that we would be stirred to our worship and love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a community within a county within a state, within a country, and all of them have their own rules, ordinances, policies, laws. The United States has thousands of federal laws, and Congress is working on new ones every day. If you thought they'd be just about out of new laws to make after over 200 years, you'd be wrong. Thousands of federal laws. Illinois, as a state, has laws. Lots of laws. According to IllinoisPolicy.org, the land of Lincoln has over 250,000 laws. When you hear that, the 613 in the Old Testament don't sound like so much. But just focusing on our civil laws, federal, state, local, 
we'd agree that many of our laws are necessary to maintain a society. You can't murder people. It's a pretty good law. You can't take people's stuff. It's also a pretty good one. You can't punch some guy in the face just because you don't like the look of his face. Usually a pretty good law. And even if we try to be upstanding citizens and we try to adhere to the laws, most, if not all of us, have probably broken laws at some point in our lives. Speeding, that gets most of us right off the bat. It's a state law in Illinois that you have to wear your seatbelt when you're in a car. A lot of us have probably used cell phones in an illegal way while driving. It's illegal to hold your phone and text while driving. That tends to be younger people. Hoarding unused prescription medication to use later. That tends to affect older people. You get a prescription, you don't use it all, you decide to save it for a rainy day or next time you're in pain or don't feel good. That's illegal. The prescription on the bottle does not last for the rest of eternity. I'm sure some of you guys have a mini Walgreens in your medicine cabinet. Some of us might have had a beer or two, or maybe more than two, when we were underage. And there are lots of other examples. Most, if not all, probably all, of us have broken a law at some point. Maybe someone is saying, I've never done any of those things. Even if you try really hard to be a law-abiding citizen, you can still unwittingly break a law. I once got pulled over in Indiana for allegedly changing lanes without signaling 300 feet ahead. I had no idea that was a law in Indiana. I also still don't believe that that was even true, that I did that. <laughs> even when we really try, it's hard to follow all the laws all the time. Lots of good laws and lots of good purposes for the laws. It's good to live a life where you're following the law, even though we've probably all broken the law at some point. It's a good way to live. And our society flourishes when people abide by the laws. Here in Cisna Park, we live in a community where people generally follow the laws, low crime. Some people don't even lock their doors. Me being from a city, that is unimaginable. But because people follow the law, it makes this a nice place to live. It's idyllic. I've heard it compared to Mayberry. The law can provide a nice life, but what it cannot do is provide eternal life. It might provide some security, but it will not provide salvation. And that is something that our laws have in common with the law of the Old Testament. In the Bible, the law of the Old Testament was from God and was good, but people look to it for the wrong purposes. We're continuing our series in the book of Galatians this morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the law and the covenant. Two weeks ago, we talked about how salvation could not come through our adherence to the law of the Old Testament. Trying to be righteous through the law brought curses because we can't follow it. Last week, Paul talked about the covenant the Lord made with Abraham and how that could not nullify or supersede the law that had been given to Moses. In today's passage, really is a logical progression. All throughout chapter 3, Paul is lifting up the law and the Abrahamic covenant. 
And the loftiness with which Paul talks about the promises God made to Abraham could cause a person to come away from the book of Galatians with the wrong idea. Paul's purpose is not to make people hate the law, which was given to Moses. That would be a mistake. While the law doesn't save, that doesn't mean that the law was or is pointless. And the main idea of this passage today is that the law isn't the gospel, but it points to the gospel. And we'll be looking at today's passage in three parts. The purpose of the law, the fulfillment of the law, and the gospel in the law. First point, the purpose of the law. At the beginning of our passage, Paul asks, why then the law? And this question makes sense here. I was just saying this a moment ago, but as Paul has talked about the inferiority of the law to save, it could be easy for a person to think that the law was irrelevant or unimportant. That's not the case. Continuing in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. The law was added because of transgressions. The world was fallen and sinful. And in order to make sin undeniable and unavoidable, God gave us the law. In Romans 4.15, Paul said, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The point is certainly not that people are sinless without the law. The world fell in the garden. And as a result of a fallen world and a sinful nature, it impacted all of humanity. Romans 5.12. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. With or without the law given to Moses, the reality of our sin is inescapable. But then in the very next verse, Romans 5.13, Paul says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so part of the purpose for the law is that it is by that standard we are convicted. But even without that standard, we are still sinful. I'll illustrate my point this way. In the beginning of our time, I talked about our federal, state, and local laws. But imagine for a moment a society where no laws exist. You don't have a right to life in this society. People are free to kill. You don't have a right to property in this society. People are free to steal. Contracts are not enforceable because there are no laws. Now, in this society, no one ever breaks the law because there's no law to break. But just because there are no violations of a non-existent law, would that mean that this is some perfect utopian society? Of course not. You'd basically be a wild animal. The society would be uncivilized. Anything could go. This place where no laws are ever broken would be hell, not heaven. And so sin had existence since the fall. But because of how sinful the world was, God gave the law so that we could be aware of our sin. The text says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And in that sense, the law is actually a great blessing which God has given us 
because it allows us to be aware of our sin. I think of our advancements in medicine, incredible advancements over the past century, but really especially over the last 30, 10, 20, 30 years. Different tests that they can do now, things that they can run, MRIs, CT scans, they'll put a camera in your body and just look around inside of you. And one of the blessings of that is it can help a person know about a disease sooner than in the past. Diseases that used to be death sentences, people can now survive because they're detected earlier. And Lord willing, that will continue with early detection and more and more advancements, helping prolong lives of people who in past generations would not have expected those outcomes. We're sinners with or without the law in the same way that those tests don't give you the disease. You still have that either way. But what they do is make you aware of the disease. With the law, you can try to address the areas where you fall short. You can try to follow it. But it doesn't bring life. It can't bring life because it was never meant to bring life. The law instead points us to the disease of our sin. And the law points us to our need for grace. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Some people think that the Israelites could earn salvation by following the law and that it was meant to be some sort of holdover until Jesus came. But rather, as we talked about last week, the promise to Abraham of justification by faith predated and superseded the law. And with the coming of Christ, he was the true offspring of Abraham who fulfilled the law and brought the promise. Well, we cannot follow the law Jesus did. The standard we fail to uphold, the standard by which we are judged, is a standard Jesus followed perfectly. And in him doing that, and dying in our place, and rising from the dead, all who believe in him have the promise of eternal life, because we have a Savior who died. And we have the promise of forgiveness, because he has already taken the penalty. And so, because of the law, as we recognize our sin, it is meant to point us to one who could follow the law, to the true offspring of Abraham, the one through whom the promise was given. The law is not the gospel, but it points us to the gospel. We come to our second point, the fulfillment of the law. Still in verse 19. <clears throat> Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So what Paul is saying at the end of this verse is that the law was put in place by angels through an intermediary. He's not saying that the law was made by angels. The law comes from God. He's saying it was in part given by angels. Besides Galatians 3, there are a couple other passages in the New Testament which express this same idea. One in the book of Acts, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. It's not emphasized as much in the Old Testament, but the New Testament teaches that there is an angelic presence involved with the giving of the law. This could be a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, where Moses is looking back to what God had done and what he had revealed to the Israelites. 
and depicts a scene where the Lord is with a heavenly host. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones, angels, with flaming fire at his right hand. So the law was put in place by angels through an intermediary. The intermediary is Moses. He was the human mediator who had been chosen by God to reveal the law. And Paul's point here seems to be that the promise to Abraham was solely and directly from God. And the point Paul is making is one he also made last week. And that is that the promise to Abraham is greater than the law. Verse 20. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Something else that's a distinction about the law and the promise is that the law is given to Moses, who's a mediator. The promise is given to Abraham and his offspring. And as we discussed last week, the offspring is ultimately Christ and a people of God who are united by faith and redeemed by Christ. And so the promise to Abraham is the unmediated word of the Lord. It's given by God and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, Paul asks another question as he continues to talk about the law and the promise. He says, Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? It could certainly seem that way. Rest of verse 21, he says, Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law and the promise are not at odds with each other. The law does not contradict the promise. It complements the promise. Paul's point has been that the law, his point has never been that the law is bad and that the promise is good. Rather, the law is good the promise is better. The law points to a way to live, but it doesn't point to a way to eternal life. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And that's the drum I've been beating throughout this whole series in Galatians. If you could be made righteous by the law, you wouldn't need the promise and you wouldn't need the gospel. But our righteousness is not by the law. It's from the one who fulfilled the law. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. When Paul says the scripture, he's most likely referring to the law of the Old Testament. Paul introduces a metaphor where he will compare being under the law, under the scripture, as imprisonment. It's a metaphorical prison because trying to live by the law and trying to live up to God's standard on our own doesn't bring freedom. It convicts us. It brings slavery. It puts us in shackles because we can't follow it. But the sad thing is that so many stay imprisoned by the law, enslaved by the law. The law is not the gospel. The law is meant to point to the gospel. But too many never get to that step. 
They get stuck in the toil of trying to earn God. Even Christians, even people within the church get caught up in this rat race of feeling like God's love for them is based on them, is based on their performance, is based on their goodness. And that is not the gospel. That's an unattainable goal. It's an unwinnable race. But for those who believe, we have the promise. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Verse 23 is similar to the idea in verse 22. Paul is staying on this prison metaphor. When Paul says, before faith came, he's reminding us that the law of the Old Testament was always meant to be temporary. Grant Osborne is helpful on this in his commentary on Galatians, quoting Osborne. He says, Paul's point is clear. Why would anyone want to remain in imprisonment when their freedom from captivity and emancipation from slavery has arrived? When the prison doors have been opened, no one in their right mind would want to continue stagnating in a cell. The law is not the gospel, but it points to the gospel. We come to our third point, the law and the gospel, verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul uses another illustration. In the last couple verses, Paul compared the law to being imprisoned. Here, Paul says that the law was our guardian. Now, for a little bit of historical context of what that would have meant to Paul's first century audience, at this period in Roman history, sometimes really wealthy families would have a person typically a slave, who would essentially be like a private tutor or chaperone for their kids. They would teach them, they'd provide moral guidance, they'd provide protection for the child. Now, of the two metaphors Paul has used, prison and a guardian, prison is undoubtedly bad, it's negative. There are no good connotations to imprisonment. The guardian served a good purpose. Tim Keller is helpful in this idea. It's important to see that there's a positive and negative way we can view the law. I've tended to focus on the negative. It's like prison and how it points us to our condemnation and guilt. But it's also our teacher. A teacher is helping prepare his or her student to be a productive and educated adult and member of society. The law prepared us for the coming of Christ. When a child was under the authority of the chaperone, they didn't have total freedom under them, but it was preparing them for a time when they would. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The reason why Jesus came was to bring salvation. And Paul takes us back to this central theme of the book of Galatians. Justification by faith. And that fits here because Paul has been talking about the law. We are guilty of our transgressions. But the justification Jesus brings puts us into right standing before God. Instead of our sins against the law being held against us, when we have faith in Christ, the Lord looks not at what we have done, 
but what Christ has done is if that were our own righteousness. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer called upon to follow the law of the Old Testament. I'll close with this. So then how are we supposed to live? There are so many avenues people pursue in trying to think that they can buy their own ticket into heaven. The problem of sin is that no matter how good we are, we can't atone for our own sins. As I've said throughout our time, one of the purposes of the law is to point to our sin and draw us to the gospel. So what do we do with the law after we come to faith in Christ? In the Old Testament, the law can be broadly grouped into three categories. Ceremonial laws are related to things like sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple. Important laws, but they're fulfilled in Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice, the great high priest, and the true temple. That's why we don't need to follow those laws any longer. They had civil laws which related to life in Israel as a sovereign nation and territory. We do not live as a covenant nation within a territory. But then you have the moral law. Love God, love your neighbor, honor your parents, don't lie, cheat, steal, kill, and others. A lot of those Old Testament commands are restated in the New Testament. So while the law cannot save, God's desire for us is to live for him. And the fact that his desire for us to live for him does not stop at the cross. I return to where we were in the beginning when I was talking about the civil laws that we have in our society. They're good. They're good to follow. But you know that by following them, it won't cause you to live forever. With God's law, it's better than our civil laws because God's law is perfect. But just know that it doesn't replace the gospel and it doesn't replace grace. God does desire for us to follow these things, not so that he can love us, but because it's honoring to God and because it's living a life in wisdom and according according to his truth. God does will that we follow his ways, but not so he can love us. I think of my son, Robbie. I love that kid. And I try to raise him with certain values, things that matter to Carrie and I. And there's nothing he could ever do that would cause me to love him less. And if you have kids, you, you appreciate the unconditional love you have for them. The sometimes irrational love you might have for them, but unconditional nonetheless. But just because I love him, no, no matter what, doesn't mean that I'd be really thrilled if he just went out of his way to be as bad as he possibly could, thinking, what difference does it make? They'll still love me. It's good to follow what God has commanded of us. It matters that we do, but it's not the reason why God will love you, and it won't be the reason why a person goes to heaven. The only works that save you are the works of Christ. The Old Testament law pointed us to our need for the gospel. The things which the New Testament commands should do the same. And it should remind us that we aren't perfect, that we don't live up, and that we need the grace that only a Savior who could follow the law 
was able to give. And so may we live lives to God's glory. When the scriptures reveal to us areas where we aren't following God, may we repent and turn to God. And for the areas we already know about, let us strive to abide by them, not so that we can be forgiven, but because it's good, because it's the will of a good God who loves us. And in knowing that, there is freedom, not imprisonment. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your law. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. The longest passage chapter in the Bible revolves around love for your law. Lord, may we know that your ways are good. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he said that the person who hungered for righteousness would be blessed. And may that be us, Lord. May we look to the things that you command and will and see the goodness in them and dedicate our lives to living for them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.